0: Understanding how your application uses APIs can increase their efficiency and stability and make debugging easier. The company Akita Software observes the structure of programs to visualize, map, and manage API behavior. By monitoring the APIs in your applications, Akita can catch code changes that may break production applications. While this work is normally labor-intensive, Akita automates it by analyzing the source code and logs. They check the observed behaviors against intended specs and contracts, This information can then be generated into maps that help you document and version your APIs across the entire service ecosystem. In this episode, we talk with Gene Yang, founder and CEO of Akita Software. Gene was previously an assistant professor at CMU and a postdoctoral researcher at, at Harvard Medical School before that. We discuss modern APIs, their role in applications, and how Akita Software makes understanding and building APIs easier for developers. A few announcements before we get started. One, if you like Clubhouse, subscribe to the Club for Software Daily on Clubhouse. It's just Software Daily, and we'll be doing some interesting Clubhouse sessions within the next few weeks. Uh, And two, if you are looking for a job, we are hiring a variety of roles. We're looking for a social media manager, we're looking for a graphic designer, and we're looking for writers— If you are interested in contributing content to Software Engineering Daily, or even if you're a podcaster and you're curious about how to get involved, we are looking for people with interesting backgrounds who can contribute to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, Again, mostly we're looking for social media help and design help, but if you're a writer or a podcaster, we'd also love to hear from you. You can send me an email with your resume, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. That's Jeff at SoftwareEngineeringDaily.com. Gene, welcome to the show. Thank you. You are working on Akita Software, and in order to get into what Akita does, I'd like to first explore the space of API management. Describe the tool set that is used by a typical company to manage their APIs.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, of the users we've spoken to, a lot of people use tools like Postman for collaborating on calling APIs, testing APIs, automating the engagement with APIs. Sometimes people will use SmartBear or you know other tools for automatically testing their APIs. Some companies will use API gateways for, you know, automatically managing what goes on across the APIs as well. And the place where we saw there was a gap was this all felt well. So I am a programming languages person, and so I'm all about abstraction. But this all felt a little bit low level to me. So, you know, post me on the way I saw it was there's a lot of great UI and collaboration tools around curl requests or so single API calls. But, you know, what's the sum total of the API calls? Similarly, for a lot of the other tools, it's very point wise API call management.
0: So what are the opportunities for building a better tool? Like, what are the gaps in the tooling?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, something that was very inspiring to us at Akita was the observability space, because we felt like... What a lot of the companies in the observability space are doing is they're saying, well, you can take these traces and then you can like build on top of them. You can kind of like build pictures of this is what's really going on as your system is running. Pure, you know, Datadog has all these visualizations on top of you have logs, but like this is how the logs are over time. This is how your services are talking to each other. You know, like this is a story that your logs are telling. And so I started Akita with the question of like, well, can we tell like a higher level story about what's happening across all the APIs? Can we map out you know, the graph of interactions across all of the APIs, can we have a way to talk about API behavior not just as single request and responses or collections of requests and responses, but here's, you know, here's how this service is interacting with that service. And this is what happens if you change some things. This is, you know, what the performance bottlenecks might be if you put all these services together. There's this like emergent set of behaviors that well, I I felt it was missing, but I felt it was missing because when I talked to developers and software teams, they were saying, look, there's really good like nuts and bolts tools, but the emergent behaviors of our effectively distributed systems are are really unclear to us.
0: So let's take a typical API example that we can maybe extend through the conversation. You know, let's say we've got like a checkout API for an e-commerce website and the checkout API calls the payments API, the payments API calls some other API. So we you know, we've got here just kind of a typical trace of different APIs. Explain what kinds of errors or problems that you would catch if you were using Akita.
1: Yeah. So I'll explain the vision and then I'll explain, I'll I'll explain the vision and original motivation. And then I'll, I'll, I'll say concretely what we do now. Cause I, I will fully admit that, you know, we're, we're like on step one of end steps. So the vision is, so like right now, if you have like a, Checkout API talking to a payments API. Like when you're developing, you develop them kind of separately. There might be documentation that they're related, but you know, in development, these are isolated. Your test probably like your checkout API mocks out the payments, and vice versa, like the together behavior is not quite there. And then what likely happens today is especially if you have more apis a lot of your information about like what happens when these apis are together do i have performance bottlenecks do i have weird data flows that are causing issues like all of that happens by observing production so there's this whole you know great area of principled testing and production someone tweeted at me yesterday you know I, this is what i believe in not the yolo kind of testing in production but you know principled canary testing a b testing you know controlled rollout stuff like that. Like that's been the standard practice for if you have a bunch of services, how people are understanding their systems. And so the Akita vision is like, well, look, (laughs) why should people wait until production to get all this information, right? Like what's happening today is like things happen in production. You're kind of sifting through logs and traces. You get some visualizations, but you know, what's actually happening. If there is a bug, You don't catch it until things are already happening. And then to back out what really happened, you're playing a little bit of detective with respect to logs and traces that like take a lot of work today to get the full context of like your code level semantics. And so the Akita vision is like, look, at development time, we have enough of a picture of like, you know, If you're a checkout service programming against payment service, we're like, all right, this is like what we saw before of how people are using payment service. This is, you know, we watched API traffic going to it. We watched API traffic coming out of it. We built a model. So when people are coding against it, we're like, okay, this is like how the API looks maybe like even further out. This is how people typically use the payment service. And then we can alert people on like, oh, if you put this sensitive date of birth here, like that's going to go to this other service, like, you know, you know, like some other service that that payment talks to and are you sure you want it to go there? Or if you use some database where like, oh, well, when you send data off to payments, like they also use that same data resource. So like, are you sure this might cause a bottleneck? So like the vision is like at development time, we can start getting those kind of insights. And then when you're actually running in production, there's like this notion of instead of like logs, Or not instead, on top of logs and traces. What I really believe in is lifting things up to the per endpoint layer of like, you know, can we talk about endpoints when we talk about performance bottlenecks, issues with data, issues with bugs? Like, if a bug arises now, like today in payment service, you might be like, okay, well, how did like who called me? Where did this come from? You're tracing logs and traces and, and doing a little bit of forensics. What I would love to see, which is the ultimate acute division, is we get to payment service and the tool is like, well, okay, so you were called by checkout service. This is the sequence of API calls that happen. And then you can dig into like logs and traces and things like that too. This is who called them. And here's a step of things that happen. And even here's a link back to. The code changes that we observed around this time where this happened. So in short, the long-term vision is sort of having this per endpoint way of tying together this test staging prod, like test development time, like the things people actually did at development time with production time behavior. And so now let me tell you what we actually do today. Cause this is like a very, like, you know, probably pretty abstract and far off vision. So what happens today is when you're developing checkout service at test time, what Akita does is it can watch your API traffic. So there's a few ways we watch API traffic. We either have an agent. So if you have network tests for your service, we can just watch that. Or we also integrate with different integration test frameworks so that we can plug into your Flask, your Fast API, your Django, Rails, et cetera. And we can watch the API traffic there. We build a model of what we see. So we build a model of the endpoints, the fields, what you would normally see in an API spec. And then we're starting to build more of a detailed model. So data formats is one example of something that usually right now in an API spec, people put like string, but we can detect you have this kind of RFC of date time versus that. So there's a study that showed of Azure failures that these people studied come from these like tiny data format changes. Like a lot of the people we talk to, they're like, Yeah, cascading failures for hours because of tiny data format changes. Like that's an example of something that gets folded into our API model. Eventually, we want to do things like the payments field relates to the date of birth field this way, or, you know, like relationships between fields, things like that. Like the eventual API model is very complex, but today it's like endpoints, data formats, basic stuff. And then what we do is we also, whenever things call out to other things, we store those connections. So like if checkout calls out to payment, we keep track of that and we start building up a picture of how everything relates based on, you know, starting from test if people want, but we also were able to plug in at every stage of development. So we have Kubernetes, Heroku integrations that can listen at staging and prod. And the one feature that we are offering now is diffing across API models. So what people can do on our tool right now is hook us up on every pull request. Or hook us up into staging or prod to sample at, at some rate at certain intervals, generate API models, and then say, tell me what's changed between this point in time and that point in time. So on a pull request, we can automatically say, hey, this data format used to be international phone number. It seems like it's US phone number now. You might be breaking some things. We can say things like this field changed or this path seems to be different now and Even the paths, like that might sound like a trivial thing, but a lot of existing tools that diff on just raw traffic alone, like think timestamps, think unique IDs, like those things are all false positives right now in diffs. And so a lot of the work we did initially was just like, get rid of that noise. And then we're, we're starting to build up our models to more fancy things.
0: So I think the main thing we could focus on right now is the process of like, I've got an API in production and your agent is able to understand and record traffic to the degree that you can detect breaking changes. Is that, am I understanding correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So like what we do, the goal is to detect regressions of interest by watching API traffic and modeling the API traffic in a way that we keep false positives low.
0: Okay, and what goes into that agent? What goes into the monitoring of an API that's already stood up?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the big goals we had for ourselves was to make this as passive as possible. So, like, you know, introduce no production overhead if we can. So our our standard agent uses PCAP filters to passively watch traffic. So they're also called EBPF filters, but essentially they are packet filters that watch the traffic going by, look at what happens, and then captures the events of interest.
0: And let's talk a little bit more about building that. So can you just tell me about some of the engineering difficulties in architecting that observability tool?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So <laughs> I'll zoom out a little bit and I'll say like the agent is one part of it. And then like how we get the agent, <laughs> like how we like insert ourselves in like a non-invasive way as possible into like all parts of the system to watch traffic where people might want a uh, so watch traffic has been like the main challenge we've been facing these last few months. So that's a great question. So for instance, to get stuff running on in various staging and production environments. Well, I think one thing is just like, where do we get it to run with the right permissions? So, we recently released the Kubernetes docs, for instance. And so, it's like, where do we sit in the container? Or, you know, are we a sidecar? Do we run as middleware? Like, there's like various trade offs that we considered when architecting that. We ultimately decided to run as a sidecar because it seemed very standard. And then there's like a pretty standard way of doing that. But I think that, like, that's one of the easier ones. Another one that was harder was you know, some of our users are like, all right, we want to run on Heroku. And Heroku doesn't actually let you capture (laughs) traffic using PCAP. So there's like, you can imagine there's a bunch of like cloud platforms where this PCAP way of watching traffic is actually quite invasive. right? And so to people who I guess have tried to do this network level programming, it may be obvious that not all systems will let you just get in there and watch the network passively. And so for Heroku, for instance, we had to build some middleware approaches. So I personally did not build this middleware. So so forgive me for anyone who's listening who's like, that's not how that works. But essentially for that, we had to build a daemon that that middleware, Could talk to. So so essentially, like my understanding of how this works is like there's this daemon that runs Akita that can be like that middleware can talk to. And then there's middleware that sits with these systems, gets wind of the traffic that way. I'll just leave it at that level of abstraction and then talks to the Akita demon to register like, hey, these requests and responses were called. But it was extremely non-trivial to both build and design the demon because you need something that's like, I think both from a usability point of view, right? You want the user to be able to like, have certain amount of control over the demon without having to script like a bunch of stuff where they're like talking to the demon all the time. The demon needs to be babysat like by some script. And then at the same time, like you want the middleware side to be (laughs) as, you know, non-invasive and easy, like, you know, close to one line change as possible for whoever's using it. And so, yeah, like, even across different different staging and production infrastructures, like we're, we're definitely not all the way there yet in covering all of them, but every integration we've built, I've been like, huh, this is a really interesting technical insertion problem because what you're essentially doing is you're, you're balancing kind of like, how do we build this so that we're not, you know, an easy way to build it would be proxy everywhere, kind of like inject yourself, like, you know, like introduce overhead at the expense of like, you can just build this really or like at the benefit of you can just build it really fast. But what we wanted was like, this is long running. We can sit there. No one will notice us. And so it's taken quite a bit of work to be as invisible as possible across all these systems. And then... The thing that I've also thought was really fun, which I also personally did not build, was our test integrations. So there are people who are like, hey, we want to run you as early as possible, but we've got like Flask tests and they don't call across the network at all. We're using Flask to manage our requests and responses. So we also built stuff that got in there. You can swap out the Flask test client with like one line and then we listen to your requests and responses going through there and we record them.
0: And as far as maintaining those recordings do you like just save all the recordings to a database and because i imagine you know in order to discover that an api response has changed you have to have A database of some successful API responses?
1: Yeah, no, this is a great question. And it's actually my favorite part and parts that are being actively worked on, but I'm really glad you asked that. So on the user side, how everything gets saved is as HTTP archive files. So I recently discovered, well, not recently, but, you know, through the course of building this, we discovered this format that's really surprisingly ubiquitous, you know, like, All of some category of services use HAR files for like performance and other debugging. But they're this sort of like nice universal format for storing requests and responses. So like how our tool works is on the user side, they either run the agent or they run a collection through one of our integrations. Those all generate HAR files. Then the HAR files get shipped to us. And also here, something that I'd like to point out is we only ship obfuscated HAR files to us. And so at that point, like that was also an engineering challenge in the... You know, as we're talking about engineering challenges, like one, how do we work with obfuscated hard files? But, you know, there's some interesting things there. But then in our backend, like in the Akita cloud, what gets stored is essentially traces that got made from these obfuscated HAR files. And then these traces are tagged in certain ways. So the traces are are basically tagged with like, if it got run on like a pull request or if it got run on, you know, on this service, there's metadata that gets stored with each trace and then models get built from the traces and then you can diff those models. And so like, essentially what's in the database is like, there's just a bunch of traces with other information about it. And then what we've been in the process of building uh, user interfaces for are how do people want to manage these traces? Like what do they want to even diff? We started out with like, here you can diff across pull requests and people were like, well, I want to run this in staging now, but there's no concept of pull requests in staging. So, you know, do we demarcate pull requests in staging or, you know, do people want this hourly or things like that? And so that's something where we're currently working with our users pretty actively on trying to figure out, you know, are we giving them the right interfaces for, you know, managing their API traces? And then there's the question I think you like that goes back to what you're asking, which is like, what's considered good? You know, if it's a breaking change, like, <laughs> what's our point of reference? And so that also, different users have had different preferences on. Like some people are like, I always want you to update stable to the the latest one that actually got checked in. Some people are like, no, 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 we say what's considered stable. And so something we've been working through is like, what are the right defaults there? And, you know, how do we want to expose options to people so as not to overwhelm them? But yeah, like the user interface questions around how to manage, like the, I guess the way you can think about us is like the way Datadog takes like a stream of logs and helps you make sense of it. We have a stream of requests and responses and you can sort of take them off the shelf, build models how you want, say like start here and there, build me a model and then diff them. And then there's the question now of like, well, how do people want to manage them? What's considered good?
0: Are there other tools on the market for detecting this kind of breaking change? And how do you differentiate yourself from the other things on the market?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, in the last six months, we've seen especially like Postman had a blog post that said, Well, you know, if you use Postman, here's how we can help you identify removed endpoints and things like that. And there's a company, Optic, who was previously on your show, you know, they're Git for APIs, and they've also started talking about, you know, this is how we can help you catch breaking changes. There's also this tool called Diffie that came out of Twitter that helps you A B test by essentially comparing. Traffic going to and from services. So if you if you migrate a service, it'll tell you like here's all the traffic differences between that service and this service. To us, the big problem to solve. Well, there are a few. I'll say the the two main ones that I think are, are relevant for this conversation. One is how to reduce false positives when you're detecting breaking changes, and how, like how do you as accurately as possible capture these breaking changes. And so our belief is that if you're just diffing on specs people wrote or you know. AP API calls people need to make, you're catching a small part of what you could be catching total. So like data format changes and things like that don't necessarily get captured there. On the other side, if you're just diffing on raw traffic, there's a lot of stuff that changes every time. So there's timestamps are always going to be different whenever you change things. Unique IDs are always going to be different whenever you change things. It's my understanding that a lot of these tools right now, like you have to filter that out by hand. We've put a lot of work into even for those detecting with like very few data points. This looks like it could be a unique ID. This looks like a timestamp because like, It's easy to generalize if you have like a hundred and you're like, they're all different across these, but often the case is you only have a few calls. So it was non-trivial to get that to a good spot. And so with some of these other tools, you're kind of doing all of this annotation by hand right now. And then the other thing is like moving forward, we think that like this kind of modeling is gonna be crucial for like usable change detection. So like if you break an implicit contract, for instance, like for this kind of device type for this field, you need like this range of things for that other field. Like, that's not stuff people are going to write. That's going to be stuff that's also, like, extremely noisy to detect. But that's stuff that my team and I, like, we've done a little bit of R&D into. There's some stuff we feel pretty confident that we can do well across a lot of data, a lot of systems, a lot of data. But, like, that's the part that we're really excited to get into as well. And so the tools that do, like, workflow management collaboration for these, like, the model part we think we still bring to the the table. And then the other thing is, I mean, I'm really excited about this abstraction that we're building. That's like, you know, the way existing observability tools are like, all right, you have traces. We give you these visualizations. We're like, all right, you have endpoints. We'll tell you things like authentications, changes to data type, all these things. And so giving people like a way to take raw traffic, shape it into models and then manage that we think is like, a very helpful way to manage complexity, understand complexity, see changes in their systems. And so, like, so far, we're the only ones to think about things that way. I mean, I I would love to see other companies do it because I think that the more tools sit at this layer of abstraction, the more people will be used to seeing it, the less we'll have to be like, all right, this is what it means to do that. But I think think that's a new take we have on on understanding these complex systems as well.
0: Can you tell me more about the Onboarding process for, like, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, like, yeah, this sounds quite useful. I'd love to have better API observability. What is required for them to get started?
1: Yeah, sure. So like, I'll do like the the best case version. And then I'll talk about some things that might arise because various users who like got fell into the other cases are like, but wait, we got left out. So like best cases, you have an API for a service that you own. And you kind of know like how to point traffic at it, you have traffic that you can point at it. And so if that's the case, you can sign up for the Akita beta, I'll let you into the beta, you get an account, you know, you fire up a command line, you log into Akita, and then you, you get your service running, you say, hey, akita this is the port that i'm watching traffic and then akita captures that traffic that's your first api model then you you can start diffing with that you can start collecting more etc and so the fastest we've seen this happen is like 5 10 minutes but i will say that not everyone is in such a smooth position so there there are a few other things that might happen one is like You might not actually own the API you run, like the service is running somewhere else. You can't actually co-locate an agent to listen to traffic, in which case you can either run a proxy or a browser. Proxies and browsers also capture these HTTP archive files. And so... You know, for those like, again, figuring out you're in that case, if you know you're in that case, that should also be like pretty quick. And then this should be a few minutes. You can capture that. You can send that up to our cloud. It'll work. I think the harder cases is if you're like, all right, I have traffic to go into the API, but I can't install you where I need to. So I can only like you can only listen to like you know, test traffic or something like that. In those cases, what we've recommended people do is well, here, just like check out a demo system we have. But if if you want to run on your own traffic, then We have some integrations now for like Python and Ruby frameworks where you would drop a one-line change into your system. We would watch that test traffic. You would upload that to the cloud. And then that would work. I would say this is probably like longer than 10 minutes because you'd have to get some stuff to work. And so for the first run, like there's a small range of what that would be. But you know, then the I would say like the longer thing is people are like, all right, I've run it on one service. How do I actually like collect diffs over my whole thing? And so then there's there's a few things you can do. So initially we're like, all right, just integrate us into your GitHub and then we'll just diff for you. What we learned was people were like, wait, wait wait a minute. Like you're basically asking us like, Mary, after one date here, we want to run you for a while before you integrate us into GitHub. And so now we have, we're starting to beef up our instructions for like, this is how you run us in CI for a while and get reports from using Akita before you fully integrate us and get like comments on every pull request. This is kind of like how you try us, like, you know, try us on your latest version of the code and try us on like another, like check out something that was like some version ago, stand that up, run it. If you're running us in a stage environment, that's like a little bit easier. So just like, you know, run us every like an interval of time and we'll tell you what changed. There is like, some config people have requested that we've built in. So if they want to ignore certain URL prefixes, if they want to ignore certain kind of things, that would also be part of the setup. But I think like quick setup, like in short, quick setup, like you can get a taste of Akita in a few minutes to actually like get it in the right places to deploy. Like that takes, like we can work with you on that, but that takes a little bit longer, but it is overall, like the intention is for it to be fairly non-invasive. So it should be pretty quick.
0: When you're talking to potential customers Is there any pushback due to tooling fatigue, like just set by so many observability tools, people don't want to integrate with more or are they just eager to stack on more observability?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think we get a biased sample. (laughs) I think that you know, there's probably like I would believe it if there were like thousands, millions of developers out there who are like, we're tired of tooling, we just ignore Akita, but the like most of the people we get who show up, they're like, all right, I use X, Y, and Z, so a lot of our users also use New Relic or Datadog or some kind of observability monitoring tool, and those are the ones who are often the clearest about here are the gaps, and I think that what you said about stacking on tools is right because like the people who I actually talk to live will ask, hey, like, what's your tech stack right now? What's your tool chain? And usually the people who show up to us, they'll run like Dependabot, they'll run, you know, some of them run Sonar Cube, they'll, they'll run some kind of static analysis. They're like, all right, well, static analysis left us in the lurch here, here, and here. So then we have like these one plus observability or, you know, monitoring tools and runtime. And here are our gaps. And so here's like the shape we think you can fill. And so at least for, you know, the progressive people who are adopting our beta, it seems like they're running, you know one plus static analysis tools, one plus observability tools, and they have a decent idea of where the gaps are. I think the people who are like, I have too many tools probably aren't showing up at this point. And the people who are like, no tools sometimes show up, but they're, I think they're they're less convinced this is the one tool to run because they are not running any other tools.
0: So take me inside the product development process as it stands today. So you've got kind of this API breaking change detection tool That's obviously useful today. What are you facing right now? And what are you working on? What are you iterating towards?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll be very honest. We're early enough in our beta that there's still stuff we promised like you know, like last November, we are like, oh yeah, you want to do this? We'll do it. We're still building on some of this. And so this includes, so, so there's a few parts of what we're working on. So to actually get a usable tool to, you know, automatically detect regressions as low impact as possible for install, as low noise as possible. One, well, there's the low impact install. So we've had users who showed up, you know, last fall who were like, hey, like we tried this, this is, you know, works great on our, on our one system. We want to integrate this now, but we want to run it on like X. So like one of our next ships that are coming out is Django on Heroku for, you know, like if you want to run on Heroku with Django, we have to install the middleware. We needed to build a daemon. So like, you know, they could not run this on the full complexity of their systems without this integration. And so integrations are one thing we've had to spend a lot of time building. Well, like one, because it's necessary, but two, we didn't just ship like the quickest thing a lot of the time because we're like, all right, like these are people who are requesting this for real without overhead, all the stuff. So we had to take all those considerations into place. And then there's, you know, how do we actually have low noise diffs? You know, we had various... Ideas for like, yep, we think we can be lower noise for reasons X, Y, and Z. But you know, we get requests like, "Hey, I'm getting noise, and like, you know, for these reasons." And we're like, "Oh man, we got to fix that." And so, as as we're testing out with our beta users, you know, we're learning all the dimensions that we like actually need to do better modeling, to do better automation, to actually cut down on the noise. And so that, that's one dimension that I think like we're focusing on that I don't see other people focusing on. And then there's like. How do people actually want to run us in a very pain-free way? And so, like, to be very honest, I think our, our early users, they put up with their share of pain. You know, they'll they'll like slack us on like a Sunday and be like, Yep, I spent my weekend like, you know, trying to make like to script you in here. But if you gave me this flag, my life would be a lot better. And we're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. But you know, like. They're kind of cobbling together a bunch of pieces. And so we're like, okay, to actually be like a widespread, easy to use, good developer experience product, we kind of need to meet developers here, here, and here where they are. And so like part of this is building interfaces for managing like API traces across different environments. And so like once people started running us, like not just in tests, but in other environments, they're like, hey, like, how do I even tell you that like, these are all the same thing. And like, this is what I care about across my environments. And so we're like, yeah, good point. Good point. And so we've been building, you know, product to meet them there. And then there's like, okay, well, I care about these changes, but not those changes, or you're finding this stuff, but I totally don't care. Or you're just like an example is in the beginning, we're like, cool. So before we thought about things as API models, we thought about things as API specs. And I think that's an iteration that you saw previously, Jeff, but we saw them as API specs where we put a bunch of random annotations in them with all the other information that we had inferred. So we were like, here's your spec. And then here's data formats, and like all these other properties. And people were like, what the heck, man? Like, I don't write specs because I don't want to read them. And so like an extreme improvement we did was we stopped showing people the specs. We started showing people like here are insights, like we break down your authentications, we break down request type response type data formats. We let you filter, we let you search. So I think a lot of our product development has just been driven by like watching people use stuff, seeing like, what are they really trying to do, giving them the things that they're trying to do much more easily. So like, you know, if we start seeing a bunch of people scripting something, we'll be like, yeah, we need to do that. Or, you know, or if like no one is showing up to some page that they asked for, and then we talk to them and they're like, well, (laughs) I wanted this information, but not this giant dump, you know, then we dig in and we try to fix some stuff. So I think a lot of the core technology we we like finally built up over the last couple of years, but a lot of the like, what experience do developers really want? That's something we've we've been actively working on. We're still actively working on. And I think like, you know, getting it right will be very, very powerful.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the process that you're discussing where, you know, you get a lot of feedback from customers and sort of learn what to fix or or what to improve on. What kinds of issues have you discovered that way and how has the iteration process gone?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I'm very passionate about. I wrote a blog post a bunch of months ago about what's the role of developer experience and you know, experimental programming tools stuff. And I think it's it's very, very important. And so I'll say a couple of anecdotes about things we learned. And so... The whole reason we're building this product is <laughs> we were previously building a different product, but this was the part of the product that people actually liked. So we started out building an API fuzzer because people were like, we want to know, black box, what's going on with our services. We want to know like what's coming in and what's going out. And, you know, we want you to be non-invasive. And so we're like, okay, cool. Like maybe we can just like probe it with the fuzzer. And people are like, yeah, that seems reasonable. But then what we learned was people are like, well, we don't have API specs, so you can't probe it. And so then we had to build this whole API spec infrastructure. And like, I don't know how much you know about fuzzers or the audience knows about fuzzers, but in order to know how to fuzz an API, that's like requires a lot more than just knowing what the endpoints are. You have to know how the endpoints are related, what order they're called, how to generate data, fake data for all the t- So, So like that's how we got started building a lot of this like inferring like specifically the relationship of API functions to each other and then people were like wait a minute like <laughs> if you have all that that tells us like most of what we need to know about our api and we we're like mm. and then you know like we we heard that from one person then we're like okay we're gonna survey all the other people and they're like yep yep pretty much and so like we even had like contracts at the time where you know people were like we will pay you to fuzz our api and then we went back to them we're like okay stack rank like fuzzing like api learning data format analysis all this other stuff and like all the stuff we had built to make the fuzzer work it was just like higher on the stack rank So we're like, okay, like first big learning. (laughs) We're not doing the fuzzer yet. We're like, we still have a fuzzer. It's like, you know, on the the shelf, but we're going to make this other stuff work because it seems like it's way more valuable. And then as we were doing that, like the regressions actually came through that as well. So people were like, yep, we want to use this. A bunch of people showed up and they're like, you know, more people showed up to use our API. Like it was like back then it was like API spec inference. We're like, we don't know, like this doesn't sound that valuable to us, but like, well, like people seem to want it. So we'll just like put it out there see what happens. And then we were like, well, okay, like, why are you collecting so many specs? Because we're like, it sounds like a spec is something you want, like once people are like, no, 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 no. Like we want specs, like every time we check in our code. And so we're like, well, on the one hand that makes sense, but like, what are you really trying to do? and what we got from that was people were like well we want to diff those specs but like <laughs> then they showed us how they are diffing the specs right now and they were like this is bad like this makes no sense like this diff is so noisy and we we're like okay so then you know we we caught on to the fact that people seemed to want specs for regressions and they wanted something but what we were doing wasn't there yet so then we we surveyed more broadly and people were like yes we want regressions on api behavior But like everything we have is really noisy. So then we like embarked on this very long journey of like making it less noisy, which I'm describing to you because like, I think in the beginning, you know, we're like, oh yeah, like everyone was like, it's simply a matter of just diffing specs. And then we're like, it's way not, it's, you know, like we got stuck with the timestamp issue. We got stuck with the unique ID issue. We got stuck with like, no one wants to see diffs of YAML files. (laughs) Like, I think we're lucky enough that we have very blunt users. Like, you know, they'll like call us, they'll be like, here, I will on video tell you like like, this is so bad. And so in the beginning, they were like, look, we don't want to read a spec. Who wants to read the spec? They would show us their spec. And they're like, this is terrible. And we're like, okay, so then like, why do you want us to make you the spec? And they're like, well, what we want is like, you know, we want to know about authorizations, like, you know, blah, 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 blah changes. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh. And so that like, that's how we built the visualization on top of it. And now for diffs, they're like, look, like you're just dumping YAML diffs. Like you need to do all this other stuff. So like, that's what we've been working on. We're still iterating on that, but pretty much like every, every like product improvement has been like, you know, at least one person like shows us like what they're doing on their data. And they're like, ah, oh, I hate this. And then we're like, okay. Then they're like, you know, many of them are, are kind enough to like, let us play with that data too. And then we like come back with something and we're like, Is this what you wanted more? And, you know, more often than not, it has been an improvement, but, you know, I think it'll take a few more iterations to kind of get like the right user experience for engaging with, with these things at the endpoint level.
0: Tell me about the hardest part of running the company thus far.
1: So I think that for us, it's been like a collision of a non-software thing with a software thing, which is for Akita, it's, it's actually been getting the right team to work on bringing great developer experience for an extremely technical problem because as you can see we're like extremely user driven we're extremely product driven but like pretty much everything we've built has been really freaking technical so like you know how do we insert Like the best way into a Kubernetes environment. Well, we like ideally want a daemon, we want this, we want that. But, you know, like the pieces are like super, you know, like for lack of a better word, hardcore systems engineering problems. But like the experience we want is like very, very clean. And so, We're actually on our second team iteration. I think like, you know, I mentioned we sort of pivoted from a fuzzer, but actually pivoting our team has been the harder thing, which was when I first started Akita, I was like, well, I really believe in good developer experience. I should get people who are like very product oriented, very, you know, very user focused, very developer focused engineers. And like, that's what we we had for V0 of our team. And it turned out to not quite... Be the right group of people to work on such a gnarly technical problem. Because I think that to work on something that requires both like technical innovation and like non trivial product development, it's not like, hey, we're building like a better GDB or something, same GDB interface, better debugging. It's sort of like there's on both fronts, there needs to be innovation. I think that like maybe this is like a very arrogant point of view, but I'm like, well, you know, like innovation's innovation. Like you just innovate. But like getting the, the right people in place who kind of like get excited about both and they're, they're charged up. So like, you know, there are people who are like, I love product innovation, but if I have to innovate technically, like that makes me nervous. I don't like it. That uncertainty is not my cup of tea. There's also people who like, they're like, I love technical innovation, but like just fix the product for God's sake, like tell me what the product is and like I- I'll innovate technically, but to like get the right team in place who like, they're like, yeah, like I will answer user requests at like 1am on a Friday night. Cause like, I love that. Like, I'm not saying like, you know, People have to work one AM on a Friday night, but people who are like, you know, that's what I live for, and like, I like, I'm so excited to like go and like do some like really intense like systems hacking to like make that user happy. Like that is a <laughs> like a very rare like intersection of things, and like I fingers crossed, I think we finally got the team who like gets really excited. We're like moving fast. We're you know doing this stuff, but that was really hard to figure out. Like, what is the right DNA for
0: that? Any. Broader reflections on where you see infrastructure software going, trends and opportunities or problems.
1: Yeah, so there's two that I've been thinking about a lot one uh we're, we're, we're part of both so <laughs> um, as you might expect but one is as there's been this shift from so like building and shipping is sort of you know the like how people think about software today like you have dev you have tests, then you ship and you know even agile just condensed that cycle but there's still this notion of building and shipping but really this has become building and running and so like with the rise of saas it's not like it's a lot more complex than building and shipping. There's a lot more. I'm operating software. I'm operating software that I didn't write. I'm operating software that I wrote in concert with software that I didn't write. And so this is where I see a lot of existing tools just kind of falling down. So like your test tools, they they like obviously don't help you test against like the Confluent Kafka nodes or things like that. And then even existing observability tools, they're kind of like built from this tradition of like they expect that okay, like if you can get logs, that's okay, but I. Ideally, you like to define all these spans, and you like instrument your code very precisely. And so, the like the thing I had gotten really into at the beginning of Akita was I had this intuition, like things. Well, okay, so it was an intuition from talking to a lot of developers, but it was I had this sense that things need to be black box. And it took me a couple of years to realize the reason they need to be black box is because in the shift to operating, like things are black box now. That's why. And so, I think that's a big trend. And I'm like, I mean, I think that. Something I had a lot of trouble explaining to people, because I come from like a static analysis, dynamic analysis background, like you instrument, you have access to everything. People are like, Gene, like what the heck are you doing now? And like the technical way I I describe it now is I'm traditionally like an expert writes a spec and the the tools analyze against it. I think if things are black box, what you really want, especially, yeah, what, what you really want if things are black box is you infer the specs by watching and then you like either show the results to experts or better yet you just detect deviations i think regressions are extremely powerful if you don't know the spec and so as things shift to being out of the control of the developer you don't know the spec you can't look inside i think like this is you know both in terms of the product landscape and in terms of you know technologies i think that the kind of thing that i'm talking about is going to become more and more important and then The second thing is something I tweeted about yesterday. I've been thinking about it a lot is a lot of developer tools that have been successful so far have been what I call, what I'll call simplifying or abstraction tools. So it's Stripe, like, you know, payments, they're really hard. So we'll just abstract them away from you or, you know, EC2, managing the cloud, managing a data center is really hard. So we'll just abstract that away from you. That can only get you to a certain point. And so I think that we've reached the point where, you know, like, I think Liz Fong Jones tweeted, you know, AI ops is trying to be a simplifying tool when they're actually a complexity embracing tool. So I had this tweet where I said, look, like there's really two kinds of dev tools, abstraction, simplifying tools, and like tools where you just have to sit with the complexity. So the classical example is like a debugger, like your debugger can't just like, you can't have like push button. Like I find the bug for you. Right. Like the whole point of the debugger is it lets you explore your system. And I think that like most of the tools for distributed programming up to now have been simplifying tools. They're like, well, abstract away your cloud. We'll abstract away your infrastructure. We'll abstract away this, that, you know, the other. And I think that like what this latest generation of observability tools has been about is like, look, you cannot always abstract away. You need to look inside sometimes. And I think that's going to become more and more important. Like I hope people realize that they can't have like silver bullet abstract away for everything. You know, now that all systems are distributed systems, we actually need better ways of engaging with them. And so I think, that's like that's a trend that I've seen start. I hope it gains a lot of momentum because I think that you know we can't we can't just keep abstracting our problems away forever.
0: Cool. Great answer. That sounds like a good place to close off. Gene, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.
1: Cool. Thanks.